Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to be here with you. My name is Clay Wright, and I'll be hosting today, and I'm back here with Pastor Jim. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're coming off of one of our busiest mm. weeks of the year with yeah. Easter. So yeah. we're both feeling a little mellow today, but <laughs> excited uh, though. Yeah. Excited. And, and I loved mm. uh, all the different things we had going on with Holy week and Easter mm-hmm. from the Passover experience to good Wasn't Friday. That cool? Yeah. Yeah, man, it was, it mm. was wonderful. Um, and, uh, we 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 didn't get a chance to do a podcast in response to Good Friday uh, uh, to to kind of talk about that, but mm-hmm. um, maybe maybe next year we can we can <laughs> <laughs> we we can uh, continue that conversation somehow. But mm. I I will say uh, I just loved I, I felt like this year's was different then it would you know it was less i didn't feel like there needed to be a parental advisory before <laughs> the service which if you've been coming to open door for a long time you may remember parental advisories before good friday services yeah that's that's true <laughs> <laughs> but I, I i still thought it was really powerful and you know watching people in Illyria and, and from what we heard from the other campuses as well it's a funny story a, a couple came up to me a couple weeks ago and they said Hey, about the Good Friday service coming up. I'm like, yeah. They said, um, are you going to do the bricks again? Which is reference to a Good Friday service that was very intense, mm-hmm. uh, where we we literally read off sins that were taped to a brick. That this, these sins were people were were secret sins that people had submitted that they hadn't told anybody else about. Just mm-hmm. I mean, horrific things like you know I. You know, abused my little sister or something. You're know, just like, oh my gosh! And so I I read these, and then threw the brick into a metal wheelbarrow that had a microphone and some reverb on it. And so <laughs> you know, as we read through these, you know, very real confessions that were so mm. intense. Yeah. Um, and you know, the whole context was this is why Jesus died on the cross. It's just that wham, the brick hitting the, 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 the metal. And so this couple said that they had brought their Buddhist, uh, mother. Uh, do you know this story? You, I heard you saying it the other day. Uh, and, uh, somebody else who either an alternate religion or something, I can't remember exactly what they were, but you know, completely un, initiated to what we were about and mm-hmm. th- that was the first service that they brought them to yeah. and they just sat there with their eyes like big as silver dollars like <laughs> what in the world <laughs> and this couple was feeling really really awkward like uh we realized this is this is difficult uh and they said to her afterwards we're never coming back and I'm thinking to myself, why would you invite them? People who don't know anything about Christianity, why, why invite them to a Good Friday service? But yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they were asking, are we doing that again? And I'm like, no, we're not. Yeah. So it, it will be a safe service to bring people to. Yes, it will be a safe service. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, it's a. Uh, we did have Good Friday on our invite cards. To mm-hmm. be fair, at yeah. least. This, and well, I, so I, I actually I remember that 
service with the bricks. Mm -hmm. And I remember me, I was sitting with my family in the balcony, which means it must've been a packed house, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so crazy. It was intense, wasn't it? And, well, it was so intense. We, we did that 15 years ago and, uh, was it 15 years ago? And then the, some people were asking, Can do, are you going to do it next year? I'm like, no, it's a one-time thing. And next year, are we gonna, when are we going to do the bricks, the brick service? I'm like, we're never going to do that again. So <laughs> on year 10, which was just two years ago or three years ago, mm -hmm. uh, somebody on our staff said, you know, it's the 10-year anniversary of the brick service. Can we, <laughs> it's been long enough. Can we do it again? So we did. So, uh, oh, really? I don't know which one you're remembering. I think I'm remembering the one from a long time ago. Okay. It, so I would have been 15 years ago. I would have been <laughs> old enough to remember. Uh, but I would so I would have been 10. Yes, cuz I remember you screaming one time when I said something about you stole your brother's comic books. No! That's me. Yeah. It was Legos. That's the only you're, thing. You're you seven remember. years old. And you're, <laughs> you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I, yeah, man. There, there have been some really, so, some really good, over the years, I always looked forward to the Good Friday services because- You did, really? I did. I did. Interesting. Because I've- I wow. felt it, it helped me to, so th there was a, a, a quote I read in college that helped me put words to it. I don't remember who, who it was from. Mm. But it was the we we really can't properly appreciate our salvation in Christ if we don't appreciate the depth of our how lost we are in sin or so, something along those Sounds lines. Sounds like a John Stott quote. Could it could be? And, and the, you know, there is there there are places that has that that has taken me that have mm -hmm. been unhealthy. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think about shame and mm -hmm. you know just not being able to release guilt, the yeah. feelings of guilt, but. Um, I also really identify with that story where Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and he says to the one, the, the one who has been forgiven mm. much loves much. Yes. And in my class on, in, in the class that we teach in the foundation series about humanity and sin, I, I bring that up and I mm. say, I, I ask how much have we been forgiven? Mm. Yeah. Do we, do we, do we recognize yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that it's, it's a part of my introduction where I'm, where I'm, kind of bringing things into the into the heaviness of the reality of sin. Well, I, and I've said in Good Friday service past multiple times that we, 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 we fall down on two sides. We don't appreciate and grasp the holiness of God, mm. nor the, the gravity of sin. Yeah. And those are opposites, but both of those things we don't fully grasp. And so therefore we, we don't fully grasp the cross mm. because that's where these two things collide, the <laughs> holiness of God and the, the, the heinousness of sin. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and I think especially as Protestants, we don't want to, you know, focus on the, the, the Jesus on the cross. You know, mm. I hear Protestants saying, well, I don't like a crucifix because Jesus isn't on the cross. True. He's resurrected. Right. But that doesn't mean we should not pause and do some deep reflection on Jesus on the cross. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and when I think about, you know, if we think back to our parenting series and when we think about significant moments mm -hmm. or, you know, festivals, even, mm -hmm. you know, that if we can use that language sure. for me, Good Friday and Easter, and for many Americans still, mm -hmm. you know, even even with the waning church involvement, uh, Good Friday and Easter are great f uh, points in the year to pause. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. So I just 
I feel full after after this last week, <laughs> even though even though I feel tired and empty in in other ways, you know, physically from yeah. running around. But yeah. Uh, so then um, let's let's kind of switch gears a little bit and think think about Easter mm-hmm. and and the the Easter sermon. So. Um, uh, as we, we took a, sort of a little bit of a break of our walking through the book of Luke mm-hmm. for Easter Sunday to, to talk about questions that the resurrection of Jesus raises mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for everybody. So that, and that's in some sense, both for believers and non-believers. Oh, for sure. I mean, to me, if you don't, if you hear about the resurrection of Christ and you don't have a series of questions, then you're, you're not under, you're not listening. You're, you're not grasping what the resurrection of Christ is about. You should raise all kinds of questions, and, <laughs> yeah. which I know can be based upon, how, I mean, dependent upon what kind of church you grew up in or what kind of religious community you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Some people have been told that faith means you don't ask questions mm. or faith means you don't ever doubt. And so you're just supposed to just take everything at face value. And of course, we, we don't want to create a, a, a spirit of unbelief, but doubt is healthy. And doubt helps me uh, wrestle with truth. And so I absolutely want to encourage people to ask questions, voice your doubts. Mm -hmm. Don't ever stuff them or feel like it's somehow unspiritual. And I think we've done people a disservice in in, in the history of Christianity whenever we've We've tried to silence people who've got questions. Yeah, uh, I don't know whether there's an intimidation factor, whether they feel like they're a threat, but Christianity can stand up to any question. Mm. And in one of the services, I made a comment about, it was first service, I think, some of you have more of a superstitious belief than you do a, you know, faith. Wow. And, uh, and I think that's one of the proofs of superstition is that you won't allow it to be questioned. Yeah, that's that's really. I don't remember you using that language, but that's really, really. Can can you tease that apart a little bit more? Sure. How do you compare your faith with superstition? Yeah, um, I think uh, they're they're similar for right. sure. It's you know it's something I believe in, but superstition is something that's that's um, not. You know, uh, I'm thinking of the word that starts with a C. Credible. It's not credible. Mm. It's something that's made up. It's something that's make believe. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, you know, there's why, why do you believe that? You know, there's no basis for that. You know, why won't a, a baseball manager step on the a yeah. line? As yeah, I, my <laughs> my mind went to all these sports analogies mm-hmm. immediately. You know, all these superstitions, and, right? And you know, it's not just rabbit's foots that you have in your pocket. You know, there's there's all kinds of things. You know, I hear people joke about, but they actually have superstitions. Well, that's funny in regular life, but when that comes into the the church, uh, there's no there's no room for superstition. Hmm. And and you know, sometimes superstition has a mysterious nature to it. And, you know, Christianity does have a mysterious nature to it. And, mm-hmm. in fact, I wish that more Christians would, would think about the mysteriousness of the nature of God, mm. the mysteriousness of the Trinity, the mysteriousness of, you know, how does salvation, what is the church? You know, there's, a, there's a mystery there that I find attractive. And, you know, I love that the Christianity has a mysterious nature to it. I, I don't want a faith that is, you know, I can explain everything away. You know, mm. like I don't, I don't want a God that I can put in a box and explain everything away. I want a God who's bigger than my questions, bigger than my 
you know, thoughts. Yeah. And so, but just because superstition has a mysteriousness to it doesn't mean that it's faith. And just right. because Christianity has a mysterious to us, mysteriousness to us, to it, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's superstition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to these two words again. So faith is built upon something that's credible. We do not believe that in blind faith mm. that, you know, turn off your brain and just believe the, the Bible never in, implies or never says, nor implies that kind of definition of faith. Turn off your brain. And the, the closest it comes to is in the John 20 passage that yeah. we looked at Sunday, where Jesus himself says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And so I can understand how people would say, oh, I shouldn't doubt. But what Jesus is saying is there's all this evidence right in front of you. I've given you evidence. Um, this is a credible thing to believe in. Believe, you know. And it's more of a sense of stop refusing to believe. Mm. versus stop having doubts. Because if you look back at, at, at the Luke's language, at John's language, he says of Thomas, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side, I will not believe. Okay, that, that's not, I, I, you know, I can't believe. It's I choose not to, as a refusal to believe. And so doubting, questioning, asking is different than a refusal to believe. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be stuck in my unbelief. Yeah. Those are not the same things. And the Bible yeah. condemns refusing to believe, but it welcomes questions, you know, searching to believe. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting because I, I, uh, I, there's something beautiful about a childlike faith. Mm-hmm. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, how do we preserve and how do we uh, honor the, 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 a childlike faith, like a faith where, um, you know, kind of like how Arden, when I talk to Arden, she, she believes me because mm-hmm. I'm her dad, mm-hmm. you know, and she's still in that obedient phase. You know, she's not, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, how do we, how do we honor that in a way that's not affirming just sort of this like bypassing, ignoring difficulties mm-hmm. sort of, yeah, I think the reason how, reason why Arden believes like that childhood faith is all based upon relationship. Mm. So, and when you have relationship, it is that that's when that childhood faith comes back. So we don't start with childlike belief, childlike faith. We actually arrive at childlike faith. Yeah, and wow. so that's the, I think the way Jesus describes it is not go back to. But you know, let that teach you that when you know and trust your father or you know the person in relationship, then it's natural to trust. Mm. Be like that, yeah. You know? And so it's, I, I think a lot of seasoned Christians lose their wonder, lose their their faith, and kids, kids ask questions, and so mm-hmm. they lose their inquisitiveness. Man, you lose wonder, you lose inquisitiveness, and you lose faith. What's left? That's where life is found. That's where life has color. Yeah. And those three things, wonder, inquisitiveness, and faith. And yeah. that's what children, they live in wonder. Mm. And life squeezes the wonder out of us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so so then, you know, not, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but all of this is packed into the introduction of your sermon, which is where you were talking about these questions mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that the resurrection raises for us, and rightly so, right? Yeah. That was a part of your right. 
uh, a part of your your uh, your introduction there and and obviously uh, <clears throat> Jesus loved using questions as a teaching tool. <laughs> That's right, he did. This podcast is predicated on the idea that questions are helpful, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so, um, and you've already talked about this a little bit, but um, uh, why? Why uh, why is it so important for us to stress that the church is a safe place to ask questions? Mm, and, yeah. and uh, you know, maybe why why has it not felt that way in the past? And, and specific because I know you've already answered that question partially, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the phenomenon of deconstruction mm-hmm. and how how the church has responded to it, because deconstruction mm-hmm. in some ways uh, is this sort of relentless asking of questions. It's okay. Well, what about this? And mm-hmm. you know, it's you're, you're, you're asking new questions or revisiting questions, uh, that are, you know, f- at times foundational to the faith. And I know, you know, that's a, that's a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, is the church a safe place to ask deep questions yeah. and how can we, you know, why is that so important? Well, before deconstruction became a pariah word, um, I have always encouraged people to deconstruct their faith mm. because it's a part of faith development. Yeah. Um, simply because learning is a process and our, our minds, our brains can't grasp all the truth and the depth of Christianity. And so as we learn, we learn some things in part and those things in part need to be added and filled out and, and de- deepened. And so the the way that that happens is by right, asking questions and mm-hmm. having discussion and, and, you know, classic argumentation. So not being argumentative, but, you know, and against people. But, you know, you argue things out. That's how you learn and discover. Yeah. And, um, and so deconstructing is I'm deconstructing the caricatures I have of God and theology and what I believe about the Bible so that I can get clearer about what is actually true. And, you know, so when that's, when that's, that's the educational process, you know, and so when you have teachers and leaders and churches that are saying, this is what, this is how you learn, you ask questions and you don't shame people for asking questions Mm -hmm. and you encourage that, that that's, that's the learning process. And so unfortunately, you know, um, we and the church sometimes have have shamed people for asking questions, and and I don't know why. Uh, maybe that leader themselves did not have a solid hold <laughs> on their faith, and they were having doubts, and mm-hmm. so they're holding on to their own superstition or their yeah. their thin, shallow faith, and and they're afraid that if you expose a fault then then I, and and, and my, what I believe then maybe my faith will come crumbling down yeah which is very sad it is sad and it's it's reminiscent of you know you think of ways that religious groups um, have abused power yeah you, know, yeah. you think of cults yeah. for instance a, a telltale sign of a cult is there's no <laughs> right welcoming of, of questions yeah. and that you know there unfortunately have been times where the church has acted like that yeah. um yeah in, in its history uh yeah so so in our in in our church in church of the open door obviously i loved on sunday how you stressed this is this is a great this is maybe the best place to bring your questions mm-hmm. i don't know if you use that language but 
I probably I, used it for alpha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so can can we can we talk about what are some um, what are some really great places to bring questions at Church of the Open Door? So, like, if people are listening to this or yeah. they know people who have questions, where's where are some of the best places to go? Yeah, I think the best place is to stand up some Sunday morning right in the middle of a sermon and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, before you go on. <laughs> um, no, life groups is um, something we always have mm-hmm. and uh, or other kinds of groups, you know, men's groups, women's groups, uh, any kind of grouping of of Christians uh, and, and, and seekers who are gathering around discussing the things of God, the word of God, you know, that is a, probably the best place that we, that we always have these groups available. Now we've Mm -hmm. mentioned alpha. Um, uh, Alpha is something that we, it's a, it's a course that we offer from time to time. And uh, so that is designed for questions. That's the whole point of it. In fact, they, they actually have more of an emphasis on questions than they do on even discussion mm-hmm. and uh, arriving at <laughs> conclusions. Yeah. Right. Because they, they know, and again, I love this about Alpha, they know that it's in stirring up the questions that faith gets awakened. Mm-hmm. And what we're not, we're not trying to give answers in Alpha or in Christianity. We're trying to give life. And so we want a stirred up faith. We want an inquisitive faith. We want an engaged faith, you know, walking with God. So we want to encourage and awaken those questions. And so if you give answers too quickly, Alpha believes, and I agree with them, then you turn it into a question and answer forum Mm -hmm. as if answers are the goal. Right. And Jesus is the goal, not answers. Yeah. And so uh, I, I know some people are a little intimidated by that, but... Uh, so, so you know, groups, life groups, um, uh, alpha courses, um, you know, the classes that you, that you have been designing for Christ uh, University for uh, you know, other kinds of educational courses. I'm I'm trusting that you provide opportunity for for questions there because it, if it's all lecture, you know, there needs to be op- you know questions uh, mm-hmm. need to be you know addressed and asked, and that's yeah. how learning happens. Yeah, and actually, that the the questions and the conversation that happens is always the best part. I bet. I bet. Always the best part of the class. I bet. Yes. So so you know, um, if when we talk about life groups, you may or may not know. I mean, I know you know this, Clay, but the listener <laughs> may or may not know that. Ideally, we have designed life groups to be a place to discuss the the, the teaching that happened on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it's the place to ask questions. We even write questions for you to discuss and hopeful that those will prompt, you know, new questions. Yep. You know, the best kind of life groups are not the ones that follow closely with the questions mm-hmm. that have been written down, but are questions that get, you know, prompted from other questions. And, you know, next thing you know, there's all these questions, you know, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. And so that's actually designed ideally as the place where people can question. And we, we learned this by watching Jesus. He would teach. And then the Bible said that he would, when he was alone with his disciples, they would discuss things, things, mm-hmm. and he would explain the parables, or the, question, the disciples would ask, "What did you mean by that?" And so, <laughs> when we read that in the Gospels, we're like, "Oh, Jesus is inviting questions. Jesus mm-hmm. is providing a space 
for discussion after the teaching. Yep. That's all our, our sermon-based life group questions are. Absolutely. They're providing a space to discuss the teaching because we don't believe that effective teaching is just a talking box and people sitting in rows listening. Right. It's hopefully engaging teaching that raises questions, you mm-hmm. know, and of course that's the, one of the points of this podcast is, yes, yeah. is not only picking up pieces that were left behind, but also, you know, probing some new thoughts that come up when people hear something like, what about this? Mm-hmm. Like some of the questions you're asking right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so if you guys ever have a question and, uh, you know, in addition to all these other spaces, mm-hmm. feel free to yeah. email them to us. You know, we would love to, yeah. uh, hear where you guys are at and to respond to those questions. Um, yeah. So, so with, with all of that and, and with that in mind, um, because you know you know we're we're talking about how the goal is not to have answers to questions that's not the goal the goal is to uh have a relationship with Jesus yes right? yes um and yet you know there's the our relationship with Jesus and our faith it, it's it's there are um evidences right there are you mm-hmm. know there there are other words we could use here but and and that's one of the things that you focused on in your message yeah. is when we think about the resurrection, are, is is it reasonable to believe in the resurrection? Are there reasons that we have? To I like believe? that word reasonable. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, that's a good word because our faith is not based on reason, but it's not uh, against reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have talked before about what is sometimes called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. John Wesley invented this this. Um, uh, kind of a learning device that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, how do we learn things? How do we understand truth? Where is where? What are sources for truth? Yeah, and um, and he started with scripture. That's the best place to start. And some people would say only scripture, and he would be like, oh no, you know, God and being made in the image of God, God's given us a brain. So reason when we're thinking. That's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. and sometimes people read about the Enlightenment and they and they think of they think well all that thinking that went on in the Enlightenment <laughs> that somehow thinking is a you know purely a secular humanistic kind of a thing to do no when you think you're exercising what it means to be made in the image of God so yeah. you know reason is good uh, who was the old church father that said you know we're not uh, reason seeking faith we're faith seeking reason. Yeah, it's uh, been attributed to men, like a couple Anselm different people. Or, or Anselm is one of them. Yeah, yeah. so so I, I've always liked that uh, faith seeking reason. So mm-hmm. so you know, scripture reason, and here's one that Protestants don't like tradition, <laughs> and which which simply means, hey, we're not the first ones to read the Bible. Right. We're not the first ones to wrestle with questions of truth and doctrine. What has the historic Christian church thought about these things and what are some things they've learned and have yeah. written down and what can we learn from looking at that history? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can be egotistical and arrogant thinking that, you know, we're the first ones that have thought these things, you know, anybody before us is prehistoric and, yeah. you know, somehow C.S. primitive. C.S. Lewis calls that <laughs> chronological snobbery. snobbery yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, anytime you talk about that, you have to bring up that language because you can't beat it. You know? <laughs> yeah. So so there's scripture, there's reason, there's tradition, and then there's experience. Yeah. And uh, I think this is one of the things that I find most attractive by John Wesley. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he gets caricatured to put too much emphasis on experience. 
But all he's doing is saying that that walking with Jesus, walking with God is an experiential thing. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be learned in the wisdom. Now, see, if we use the word wisdom, people wouldn't be as uptight about it. But where does wisdom come from? Experience. Yeah. So we want to pay attention to the experience of, of our life or other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And does this, does my experience flesh out what I'm learning through scripture as I mm-hmm. think about it and as I reflect upon yeah. historical past. And, and especially Wesley emphasized the fact that when, when you're coming to faith, you know, there should be like a component mm-hmm. of that, that being felt in your experience of yeah. life in your experience of God. Yes. And it's been so fun. My heart was strangely warmed. Yes. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. And, uh, I was, talking with uh, someone who who just recently, maybe even over Easter, Mm. uh, became a Christian. And they said to me, (laughs) over text, they said to me something along the lines of, you know, I'm not sure what's happening inside of me, but something's happening. And I, you know, I thought to myself, oh, I know what's happening. You know, this is the Holy Spirit, man. (laughs) This is the experiential part of that inner witness of the spirit is some language that scripture uses. And let's use the language, resurrection language of the road to Emmaus. Didn't our hearts burn yes. within us yeah. as he opened the scriptures? Absolutely. What is that? Yeah. I mean, in, and in <laughs> some experience. ways, experiential. Absolutely. And, and it's in some ways the transformation that happens as we come to know Christ mm-hmm. is a part of that experiential yeah. component. And, and in John Wesley's day, he, you know, he was reacting somewhat to um, a an expression of Calvinism, because I don't want to say just Calvinism, but an expression of Calvinism, Calvinism that was overly intellectual mm-hmm. and overly logical yeah. and uh, to the point of non-emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, we also, we don't want to go to the other extreme where our Christian faith is nothing but emotions. Right. But sometimes we do throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to this topic. And especially if people are wired a certain way, they are almost suspicious of emotions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we should be suspicious of trusting our emotions, but we right. shouldn't be suspicious of experiencing emotions. Yeah. Again, God made us to feel, to emote, to express. Remind me of the title of, there's a book that you recommended to me. I think it's by... Oh, is it by Philip Yancey? Is that who I'm thinking of? I don't or am know. I just pulling that? It's it has to do with uh, it's called the Cry of the Soul. Oh, Dan Allender. Dan Allender. Okay, yeah, I don't Allender. know where I got. I've been looking at authors recently. But, yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's a good book on on letting as you read, especially the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Psalms are full of emotion, and let the emotions that you feel, whether you're reading the Psalms or not, but what you know just. For a second, let's separate from the reading of scripture because he's just saying David is expressing himself. So, mm-hmm. as we emote, as we feel things, we don't want to stuff them, you know. And that's reaction to a, a famous book by James Dobson, who said, "Emotions, can you trust them?" Mm. But that got caricatured to be um, emotions should be shut down, mm. you know. And so, emotions. Dan Allender says, "Teach us; they reveal." things in us, our fears, right. our, our lack of trust in God, yep. our our independence versus our dependence upon God. So pay attention to your mm-hmm. emotions because they give you a window into your soul. Exactly. Yeah. And that was so helpful to me because 
do my can I trust my emotions in the sense that they're giving me an accurate picture of reality? Right, right. That's a good distinction. No. Good but distinction. are they giving me an accurate picture of something that's going on within me? Yeah. Yes. They can. They and, sure can. Yeah, man. And that's uh, that, this is one of the reasons I love the Wesleyan quadrilateral and just thinking about you know it, the the big you know fancy word is you know an epistemology mm-hmm. how we get to truth how we think about how we know things right is is because you avoid siloing yourself into a purely intellectual faith exactly. or a purely experiential faith mm-hmm. and uh and of, of course it was extremely helpful to think through proofs for the resurrection on sunday but in no way were you trying to paint coming to christ as a purely intellectual pursuit right uh, and that's that's evident even in the proof that you said was most compelling to you, mm-hmm. which is the transformation in the life of the apostles. Right. Um, yeah. So can you, man? There, there's just so many things to talk about here. <laughs> but um, do you do you want to talk more about um, the danger in painting uh, uh, coming to Christianity as like an intellectual thing only? Okay. Or do, you, do you feel like we've covered that? Um, I think we can say some more about that. Sure. Um, and of course, this, some of this is how we're wired. You mm-hmm. know, some people um, want to wrestle things down rationally, um, and then they will commit. And so, I have a friend that is, you know, a very he's a thinker, he's an engineer, and he, you know, who I'm thinking about probably, and and he he wants to wrestle things down rationally and intellectually, mm-hmm. and I love that, and I I support that. Um, he and I know another person that is, you know, very very emotional and almost suspicious of <laughs> someone being too intellectual. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of uh, one of my best friends in my whole life is a guy named Andy Johnson, and uh, Andy grew up in the Deep South, mm-hmm. and uh, in the Deep South, a lot of churches are suspicious of education, mm-hmm. like higher education. And so, you know, they want pastors and preachers who did not go to seminary because seminary ruins you. Seminary is where you learn all the liberal, you know, teaching. And so mm-hmm. they were so upset when Andy wanted to go to seminary. And they're like, no, don't, <laughs> it'll ruin you. You know, because you can see that bias against yeah. intellectualism and that bias against, you know, uh, thinking and, mm-hmm. and, and rationality. And it's like, what, what is the problem there? Right. Obviously they're reacting to something that they had experienced. Um, but uh, you know, some people maybe are too wired to trust their emotions or to be emotional, and so you know, I I'm kind of a, a funny person. I am a deeply emotional person, but I'm also a, a deeply thoughtful person, mm-hmm. and so I like to wrestle with things. And yeah. I love podcasts like this where we're talking about <laughs> yeah, things and yeah. explaining. And so um, you know, back to the Western Quadrilateral, maybe a little bit. You know, if you're a person who you know really wants to grasp things intellectually. way to go, but don't let that become an excuse for, I won't believe until I can explain everything. Mm -hmm. That's when putting an emphasis on the rational parts of our faith can actually become an idol and a barrier is, you know, that it's like, it has to be able to be figured out in my brain before I will believe it or I would ascribe to it. Right. And now you've, you've elevated your intellectual capacity, your brain 
over truths of Scripture. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is, um, the Bible is full of divine truths, and we are not divine. We are human. And yeah. so there are some things, this is back to our word mystery, that's so beautiful, that will remain mysterious to us, and we cannot fully explain. Right. His ways are higher. Oh, it, you know, yes. Yeah, and his so, thoughts are higher. And so, you know... It, you know, we think deeply, we wrestle with things, then we get to the edge of our ability to think and figure out and rationalize. And then we go, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to take that next step thoughtfully, you know, as an extension of what I've, be, of what I've been thinking. I'm going to believe. This is kind of how C.S. Lewis came to faith, is that he wrestled things down and thought to himself, hmm, this, this is a very rational faith. But it wasn't his thinking that that converted him. Right. It was his thinking that brought him to the, the most reasonable thing to do is believe. Mm-hmm. You know, mere Christianity. That's the, basically the point of his book. The most reasonable thing to do after all this evidence is to put my faith in God. Yeah. And that's a beautiful example of the power and the necessity of reason. Absolutely. Um, and for the person who is saying, you know, I want to believe, maybe a little like a Thomas, I, I, I do want to believe. Maybe that's not Thomas, because he said he refused to believe, but uh, I think deep in his heart he did, otherwise he wouldn't have followed Jesus. You know, right. he, he believed something. Uh, I want to believe, I just, man, it's just, it's not clear to me. There's too many hurdles. There's too many obstacles. Help me tear down some of those obstacles. Explain to me some things right now that are so daunting, I, I feel like I can't keep my brain and still believe what you guys teach. Yeah. And so that's a little bit of the behind why I wanted to talk about some of the reasons for faith, proofs for faith, evidences, is we have a reasonable faith. Mm-hmm. And the resurrection is an immensely uh, reasonable um, thing to believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a truth claim you know, we didn't reason our way to resurrection. Resurrection happened, but it's such an outrageous, out of our context occurrence that it does it defies reason. Right, and, and we should embrace that and say, yes, it does. It defies reason. But if you walk through the, the some of these things that happen that we can see in the gospels, and we can do that if you want. It becomes reasonable. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And b- we should, but before we do, it's it, a lot of what we've been talking has been um, w- with like the believer in mind or with the person wrestling with faith in mind. But another another reason I think it's helpful to talk along these lines is because it helps us to manage our expectations when we present proofs mm, in evangelism. That's good. Or or when. In the process of sharing our faith, people have questions. Yes. You know, we, we shouldn't expect, be, because it's not a merely intellectual pursuit, we should not expect that when we put our cards on the table and present <laughs> proofs, people are just going to be like, oh, all right, you know, pack I, it up. I, you know, I, I'm, I believe. So, some people will, but, yeah. it, but it's not just because their intellectual questions have been answered. It's a complex wow. thing that happens when a person yes. comes face to face with the reality of the person of Jesus. Yeah. It's partly intellectual, but you know, that's, I, I, I think we want to clear away as many hurdles as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, um, I think sometimes we, we can get into our minds that it's like, well, if I just, if I just say all the right things, then the person will understand and believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, 
you know, people who have tried that before, you, you, it can, it can get very discouraging when that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what do you do then clay? You, you pray for yeah, that person. That's exactly right. You and pray. you, and you live amongst them, mm-hmm. right? Because you, if you think about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you can talk with them about the reasonable, you know, the faith is reasonable, but it's when they see and experience Jesus in you, mm-hmm. when they experience, when they see the transformation happening in your life, when they see how, how it is that you not perfectly, but faithfully mm-hmm. and in a Christ-like way are loving your spouse or raising your kids are being, you know, ha- living with integrity at your, at your job. It's those sorts of things, you know, uh, graciously responding to people who are treating you unfairly, mm-hmm. you know, grieving with that, with hope, uh, the, the death of a loved one. It's right. all, all these evidences in your life, in your experience, uh, along with you know, the, 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 um, the reasonableness of faith, mm-hmm. they, they all come together to, to help a person. Um, and, and let's not forget salvation is a miracle. It is a yes. supernatural thing. When a person moves from darkness to light, when they move from from you know refusing to believe to believing, when they move from rebellion to surrender, mm. that's a miraculous conversion. Is a miraculous thing. So it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Um, and so, therefore, to leave him out of the equation, to not pray and ask <laughs> God to change their heart, open their eyes, yeah. reveal truth is foolishness. So you know, we can't, like you said, just argue them and just explain them into the kingdom. Right. We've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will open their eyes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and of course... Um, I, I mentioned this earlier as well, but it's it's the transformation that happened in the apostles that is uh, one of the most compelling evidences. For me, it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah. In your sermon, you mentioned that. Um, but there are lots of other, I think so, uh, evidences as yeah. well. And yeah. you mentioned how many did you mention on Sunday? Would you say? Well, I enumerated five, but okay. I also touched on probably four or five others. So I yeah. probably did nine or ten, but I only, yeah gave numbers to five. Sure. Yeah. So, so as we switch gears into thinking more about those evidences specifically, did you want to share more about, uh, you know, talk about more of those evidences or share deeper about some of them? Sure. Um, I think, you know, one of them that a lot of, a lot of scholars talk about is when you read the, the gospel narratives, as they're telling the story of the resurrection Mm -hmm. and you compare those to fables, to myths, to to stories that we know are mythical and, and other kinds of, of literary uh, works. There is a, a very clear difference. You know, they, they don't sound like myths. They don't sound like fables and fairy tales. Um, uh, You know, and just, you know, all kinds of examples, you know, for instance, uh, the the disciples wouldn't describe themselves as not believing. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't make themselves look bad. They would make themselves look like heroes. You know, we, we believed as soon as we heard, or, you know, these kinds of things that you would, you see in other kinds of literature, um, for sure. Um, if some, you know, one of the accusations that have been made is that, um, is that, you know, Jesus died on the cross, and the disciples were so overwhelmed with grief 
that they gathered in a room, and after the grief began to fade, they began to remember the things that Jesus said. And they're like, these things are so good. We've got to, we got to teach these to the rest of the world. And, and, you know, in and, and, and the midst of that, you know, they, they kind of, in trying to resurrect Jesus' teachings, somebody came up with the idea of resurrecting him, and they made up, this is what they people say, they made up this story. Mm-hmm. And so then, after the fact, 10, 20 years later, they began to write, make made up stories to resurrect their teacher to, physically and bodily. And so they made up the doctrine of the resurrection. They invented it. And so the Gospels are inventions to, you know, support this this thing they made up. Um, so if, if that's true, you when you ask yourselves, you know, what would a person write to try to prove the resurrection? Well, right off the bat, you know, the first thing that we saw was that it was a woman <laughs> that first saw Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, it was a woman who first reported, the first preacher, the first teller of good news. Well, that is a colossal mistake yeah. in first century world <laughs> because... In, you know, sadly, this is mm-hmm. tragic, but in in the Roman Empire at the time, which you know, the nation of Israel was in a part of the Roman Empire, um, women were not even believed in the court of law. Their testimony had zero weight in a court of law. So if you're trying to write something that is hard to believe, right. you wouldn't put a woman as your primary witness. Yeah. You would try to find the most the wisest, seasoned, respected rabbi around and say, he's the one that first saw, whoa, if he saw Jesus, it must be true. Mm-hmm. A woman and, and, and Mary Magdalene, a woman with a past. Right. What a what a terrible mistake, you know. So so they these scholars now let me back up now, these scholars that read the narratives, they say it has a ring of authenticity. That's what that's one of the things they mean. Yep. Is it's either terrible story writers or they're actually telling something that actually historically happened. Yeah. 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 They were, they were paying <laughs> close enough attention to detail to, to continue including things that would have been incredibly embarrassing to them. Yes. Which, you know, none of us would do if we were writing the story, right. you know, it's, I, last night after life group, as we were talking about the resurrection, one of the guys in my life group showed me a video that satirically, uh, depicts the uh, the the apostles in this kind of a situation oh. where they're like getting together to like fabricate um, <laughs> okay. the resurrection, and they're like, you know, they're like, okay, so so run run the plan by me again. And they're like, so all right, so so That's we'll great. we'll steal his body, and we'll tell everybody he rose from the dead, and then we'll all die horrible deaths. Yeah, and they all like start cheering, idea. and it's like, and then there's the one guy in the group who's like, no, this is a terrible idea. Why would we do this? You know, it's I love it. Well, it who, who does that? Uh, I think it was the Babylon B. That's so funny. That, that makes the video, and it's yeah, oh, dude, it's so funny because it yeah. it really it. You know, it takes this uh, this whole intellectual conversation and just shows how ridiculous mm-hmm. it would be mm-hmm. for the apostles to have mm-hmm. gone through with that sort of a yeah. you know a, a falsehood yeah. uh, and to to lie about it like that. So the, the first thing is the is the they have this ring of historical truth, this mm-hmm. ring of authenticity. Another one might be, um, especially the life change of a person like the apostle Paul, mm. who wasn't a follower of Jesus. 
um, who was an enemy of Jesus and who uh, it, it makes no sense for a guy who's climbing the ladder of of uh, you know legalistic Judaism in his day, rabbinic Judaism in his day, and becoming you know sort of a name about. You know all the the people he's put in jail and the people that he's discovered who are followers of the way. If for for him to renege on all of that and suddenly to say, actually no, I believe all this now, and it's, you know it's 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 um career suicide right. for him. Mm-hmm. And so you just ask yourself the question: What did he have to gain by going against the whole system that he spent his whole life? trying to you know rise up in it was a you know, again yeah. career suicide so it, it, yeah, why yeah. would something do that something like that only someone who experienced an actual encounter with the risen christ in in his own words he says i have lost everything <laughs> yeah. for the surpassing greatness of knowing Amen. christ jesus my lord yep. you know, that, he loses everything to gain christ yeah and yeah, so man, and so how so do you explain that well Resurrection, mm-hmm. you know. So there comes another proof. Um, um, let's see here. Um, the fact that all of the uh, first followers of Jesus were Jews, mm-hmm. and uh, but none of them are depicted as scholarly type people. Mm. Uh, we 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 touched v- briefly on this by quoting Acts four thirteen where the scholars of the day were interviewing, actually you know, putting on trial two disciples, <laughs> Peter and John. And it's just, I love the language. When they saw that they were unordinary, unschooled men, uh, which is a little bit of a put down, yeah. um, you know, they realized that these people had been with Jesus. And what they're trying to say is that these guys didn't have the training, the intellectual apparatus, the experience, the knowledge to come up with this kind of stuff, their life had been dramatically changed by being with Jesus. And, and I've used this verse in the past to refer to the three years of discipleship with Jesus, but it's not just that this is post-resurrection. Also the experiencing being with Jesus, who's been raised. Yeah. It needs to be included in that, in that statement. And so these these Jews, Jewish men especially, who were devout Jews and who were raised in Judaism, where did they come up with this brand new, kind of almost anti-historical mm-hmm. understanding of Jewish of Judaism? Where did they come up with that? Yeah, you know, well, that, that's it. Seems to you know, it's 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 got to be something that's dramatic and and life-changing, and the resurrection points right to that. They believe that that the the teaching of resurrection, which universally was taught across the board as for Jews as something that would happen at the end of the age, the, the concept of a resurrection before the end of the age was nonsense. You know, no, there's no scripture of support for that. There's no understanding that no one taught that. So when Jesus introduced a resurrection that was in history, not mm-hmm. the climax of history, right. it, that's, that's brand new understanding in Judaism. And so did the disciples invent that? <laughs> you know, no, it's something that they tried to come to terms with after it happened. Resurrection exactly, yeah. happened, broke into history 
and has changed history, but it's not culminated history. We're still alive. Look around. We're here. You know, yep. this isn't the end of the age. This is, well, it's the end of one age, but it's not the end of of time, and it's not the end of 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 our life. This is a brand new ushering in of a new age, and so. Right. You know that's often used as a as a as a powerful example of of, of a reason to believe. Um, another one which I touched very briefly on, um, but needs to be expl- explained a little bit more, is the intensity of the Jewish propaganda machine to mm-hmm. explain away the resurrection. Yep. <laughs> What's up with that? I mean, they're going, they're paying these guys off, the, these Roman soldiers who should have been put to death. You know, they're paying them off and they're spreading these lies. I mean, and then when you see, read the book of Acts, they're doing everything they can to shut these guys up. And, you know, why? What's what's the big deal? I think they're terrified mm-hmm. in the back of their mind. It happened. Yeah. Rats. Now what? You know, so, yeah. And even it's, there's that, um, the, the some concession of like from the high priest who's like, Hey man, if it's, Mm -hmm. if it's, if it's legit, then who are we to stop it? Yeah. And yet if it's not, then it'll, it'll die out on its own. That was, that was, that wasn't the high priest was it? Wasn't that Gamaliel who, who Uh, maybe it was, Uh, maybe I'm mixing from the crucifixion account where, or uh, or the, the gospel accounts with, where the high priest says something prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but suffice it to say, you know, there, there was this understanding in Judaism as things were kind of hitting the ground. Yeah. Hey, if if it's if this is God, so so that was even a possibility in their minds. <laughs> if this is God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Yeah. And if it's not, then it'll die out on its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing that that you that's missing in the made up stories of the resurrection is. There's no veneration of the tomb. Mm-hmm. The, the tomb does not become a shrine that people worship at, which, you know, in most fables and religious stories and and even mythical other religions, there's this veneration of, of uh, you know, the, the primary pieces of, you know, religious um, uh, artifact. Right. And so you do see uh, hundreds of years later later as the catholic church began to descend into some superstition of its own the people started worshiping artifacts and mm-hmm. saying claiming this is a piece of the cross and those are not the high points of catholicism those are not the high days of the, the history of the church um but you for sure don't see any of that stuff in the early days right uh, which again points to it's not it's it, it points to more authenticity and um, that this is something that's not made up. It's something that has actually happened, and they're trying to account for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think an, another thing that gets missed is we have four different Gospels, meaning four different perspectives, that instead of them reflecting um, a thought through, okay, let's make sure we get all of our stories straight. You know, oh, no, Clay, yours is a little bit off. Get it in line with mine. Mm-hmm. Instead of it feeling like these are, you know, was it groupthink, you know, or group lying or whatever, when there's a name for that where... Groupthink, I think, is the term. Yeah, yeah. So we all get our stories exactly the right. Uh, and so that when we are standing in front of the judges, there's nothing that's 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 different. We got our stories all straight, like we did in high school when we lied to our parents, you know. <laughs> but instead... 
you have almost a disregard for making sure we get our stories lined up, and there are things that look like they're discrepancies. And But when you look at them more closely, you realize this is just a perspective. If you and I were look at look at something, that an accident that happened on the road out there, mm-hmm. we would re- report different perspectives. You know, this person hit that person, and then the car spun. You know, and I would say, you know, maybe something like this person was hit. You know, it happened so fast right. that, you know, we, we were two, two onlookers trying to account for what we saw. Um, if there's cooperation, then there's perfect linear, you know, lining up of everything. If there's just historical, accurate accounting for recounting what happened, there's going to be some, some insignificant discrepancies. So these things haven't been washed out. Right. They've been kept. Again, it seems it has a ring of authenticity to it. Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's so funny because sometimes people will look at some of those discrepancies and become discouraged mm-hmm. uh, about the the you know, validity of the New Testament scriptures. And yet, just like you're saying, no, actually, it's it it, it, it can it also supports. be seen as a very <laughs> healthy support because yeah. Yeah. you know you're you're they don't they don't seem fabricated they seem authentic mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, mean, I don't know how much time we have to to continue to walk through some of these um, why don't you give us one more and then I'll we can kind of switch gears after that um, let's see here in addition to all the other ones I've given. Um, um, I mentioned the the eyewitnesses, the the number of them, but what I didn't witness, what I didn't mention, is the unanimity and the unity amongst the eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is not just people recounting the first days of resurrection, but when they're describing the resurrected Jesus, you know, when they're describing encounters. They have incredible unity and unanimity amongst yeah. them, and um, as you know, as historians or even forensic experts, as they look back on these kinds of things, and you know, uh, I, I remember one year thinking about doing like a CSI <laughs> on the on the Easter, you know, yeah. and um, you know, and looking at it from a forensic expert standpoint. You know, it's things all line up and they all point towards this thing we call resurrection. Yeah. So, I, I wonder sometimes if they'll, since the chosen is going so well, if they'll extrapolate, hmm. it, you know, if they'll do a follow up to that or, or if they'll get to a point in the seasons where they explore, you know, like you've got the, I think Gaius is the name of the character, the Roman soldier. It is, yeah. You know, how far after the crucifixion and resurrection will they take it? You know, will they follow Gaius on the inside of these Roman, you know, attempts to make sense of what's happening, and yeah. you know, will will we meet the Apostle Paul? Some of these kind of, I wonder about that sometimes. But <laughs> and that, there's so much promise for that series. There's so many places mm-hmm. you can go with it. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and let's not forget the one that you mentioned. You know, uh, what? How do we account for the existence of the church? Oh you know, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. birth of the church. Right. You know. It, the, people got together and made something up you know yeah in your words from sunday the church was the easiest movement in the world to stop all you had to do was produce pres- the body, produce the body. Yeah. and uh the the failure of all these very vested establishments in the first century to combat the rise of this 
this new movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's really no better way historically to explain the existence of the church apart from something like the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, if I can say one uh, one more, uh, I blended this in when I talked about the the life change that went from cowering to courageous, mm-hmm. right, from grief to joy. We could focus in on how come none of the disciples anticipated the resurrection you know how come they they're all of their their first <laughs> reactions were unbelief yeah it's a little bit like the very first one i gave in that it's that's not very flattering to, to picture yourself but but let's just let's just think about the the fact that these people walk with jesus for three years and n- there's no record of anyone going well guys he said he was going to be let's wait he said didn't he say three days let's wait you know and we'll you know this is, you know, it's terrible watching him die, but, you know, hallelujah, he's going to be raised in a couple of days. Let's just wait. None yeah. of that. You yeah. know, so uh, it, it caught him off guard. Right. And um, so, yeah, there's there's more we could we could talk about. Um, yeah. And and I hope I hope this is an encouragement to people, because uh, like we've said already in this podcast, um the the faith that we have in the resurrection and in Jesus is a reasonable faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so one of the reasons we can invite questions, <laughs> I've said that I've said this in small groups before, ask all the questions of all, all the questions you want, do all the research you want, because, you know, we're, you know, we're right. You know, <laughs> like we, <laughs> we, we, we are pursuing, you know, we, we can trust that God has ordered the world in such a way that, you know, we're never going to go searching and and find a truth that ultimately contradicts right. the, the the truth of Jesus. It's like that phrase that you see a couple of times in Scripture, uh, you will search for me and you will find me mm-hmm. when you search with all your heart. Yes. So, so search all you want. You know, in fact, I, I actually am encouraged by a person who may be doubting Christian Christianity. Maybe they're exploring some Eastern mysticisms. If they're really ardent and... Um, you know, passionate in their pursuit. I'm like, good. I'm going to relax because Absolutely. you're eventually going to arrive at Christianity. Yeah, it's the person who dabbles in Eastern mysticism and these other cults and stuff that I'm worried about because you know you're not really pursuing truth. You're right. just looking for some experience. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't say we're right to be like you know we. we it's not a prideful thing, but right. it's a if you're a Christian, confidence thing. yeah, you can have confidence yes. in the in yeah. the exploratory process. Yeah, but. So, so how, how, kind of how I want to land the plane and one last piece to pick up is asking why, uh, you know, we, at the beginning, we, we, I mentioned that Easter is one of our busiest times of the year. Um, why is the resurrection worth it? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we get the busiest when we get ready to celebrate the resurrection? Mm-hmm. Why is it so important yeah. for the Christian faith? Yeah. And I know... A, you know, probably a podcast in and of itself, but <laughs> let, let's let's yeah. bring it full circle and to consider why does Easter matter? Yeah, that's such a great question uh, because it does matter. Mm-hmm. So as we answer that, this is not small potatoes. This is not an insignificant thing. This is not right. just some beliefs that some Christians have. You know, as Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen, <laughs> our faith is futile. If there hasn't been no resurrection, the whole Christian faith comes crashing down 
if there is no resurrection. It's literally that important. Mm. Um, it's not a series of beliefs that we have. It, it The resurrection, if you can disprove the resurrection, then you have trashed Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so that's impossible. So, you know, therefore we would say, this is why this is such an important doctrine and that people have to believe. And, you know, why did Paul say, if you believe in your mouth, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you know, you will be saved. That, you know, right from the very beginning, we saw Paul and Romans and First Corinthians and other texts Real, you know, pointing to the, the significance, the foundational character of resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's the whole Christian faith is based on it, yeah. and uh, that's why it, it's it's a tenet of the faith that you have to subscribe to. You can't say, <laughs> "Well, I love Jesus's teaching, but I don't believe in the resurrection, but I'm still a Christian." No, actually, you're not. <laughs> you, you, you. Good for you. You recognize that there's a lot of wisdom in the teaching of Jesus, but you really don't believe Jesus because Jesus said, "I'm the resurrection and the life." <laughs> Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." So, mm. you like bits and pieces of what he teaches, but if you really listened to and believed Jesus, you have to believe in the resurrection, and because he predicted it, yep. you know, over and over again. And then spoke after the resurrection and is our, can I say this, our object of worship. You know, yeah. I don't want to objectify Jesus. He's, a, he's you know, he's, he's, a, he's a person. He's not an object. But what I'm just saying is that he's the one we worship. And he should not be worshiped if he is not trustworthy. Mm. And he's not trustworthy if he did not be with even if he's not raised from the dead. Resurrection validates everything Jesus said. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where I would start if we were going to do a podcast. <laughs> if we were going to do a podcast, yeah. I, I've been, uh, over the past couple of days, uh, as I've, so, uh, as I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm preparing for, uh, my, my grandfather's funeral. Mm. And the last time I went down to visit him, he he and my grandma sat with us in church and it was a very traditional church <laughs> and i was very uncomfortable but i remember loving when we sang the song because he lives <laughs> and to me as i've been rereading over the lyrics of that song yeah. having had that memory mm. pop back in mind i was like this is such a good reminder yeah. of why the resurrection is so valuable to yeah. christians because it's it is the cornerstone mm. of our faith. You know, mm-hmm. everything builds off of it, but also it's so precious mm. because it's That's a good word. It's an image of what our hope is. Right. Our hope is in Christ because of who he is, but also one day we will be with him. We will be like him. We will join him in resurrection. Yeah. And so because he lives, right. I can face tomorrow. Yeah. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. I can come on, sing you know, it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Life is worth the living just because he lives. And um, so that that was really meaningful to me this yeah, Easter. I I love the resurrection, but um, I know, I know one day I will, I will, I will meet Jesus, mm-hmm. and I'll be like him. Yeah, uh, and I'll get a new body, yeah. a resurrected body, just like his. Yep. And, uh, 
and I'll be with my grandpa. You know, we'll be we'll be there uh, for those of us who are in Christ. And Amen. Man, it's just it, this is our blessed hope. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, it's, yep. it's, it's wonderful. Yep. Um, yeah, that's good. It's a good place to end right there. It is. Yeah. I, 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 I was like, oh, man, do I bring this up or not? Because I knew I would get emotional. But um, I hope that's an encouragement to somebody that, uh, man, it's, it's such a such a pre- precious thing. Yeah. Um, so with, with that, uh, we'll we'll kind of land the plan here. Yeah. It's, it's been that's a great a, talk with you. It's a good stopping you. place. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, moving on from Easter, getting back into the Gospel of Luke and talking about the temptations mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. Man, there's going to be so much to talk about. <laughs> and I'm like, I know you're taking, how many verses is it in in the series? I, I don't know how it's, long. It's four weeks. So I'm doing uh, verses one and two this week, uh, which only set up the temptation because mm-hmm. the, the first temptation, there's three temptations. The first temptation that happens in verses three and four. Yeah. And so that's the next week. So three, three, one week for every temptation, and then the first week to kind of set up, you know, what's, you know, why is this being recorded? Why is this important to us? Why do right. we need to know this? And and it, the answer to those questions is we get tempted, and so <laughs> Jesus yeah. is becomes a model for us about how do we fight temptation in order mm-hmm. to win, and what's the purpose? Because uh, there's this strange phrase that it looks like the spirit is leading Jesus into the desert uh, where temptation will happen. Mark mm-hmm. actually says he, the Spirit sent him. Matthew says he led him in this, the Spirit led Jesus in, in, a, in a wilderness to be tempted. Mm-hmm. Luke just says he, the Spirit led him where he was, you know, I think. So it's not as intentional, but it's clearly the case. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and God's um, you know, omniscient, so he knew he would be tempted there. Right. So there is, there must be a purpose for temptation, mm-hmm. which at first doesn't sound like a very warm thought. Right. But there actually is a lot of power and beauty in exploring why God allows us to be tempted. So yeah. we'll talk about that. And I know, man, you're doing two, two verses a week for four weeks or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I know, as we'll find out... <laughs> I know you've got your work cut out yeah. for you because there's so much to unpack. Yeah, I could so. probably, you know me, I could preach a whole sermon <laughs> on a couple words. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll have fun picking up the pieces yeah. for, for all that as well. well I, so. And I'm, I'm going on vacation next week, so I don't know how we're going to pick up the pieces next week. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm leaving Sunday after church to take a... That's right. Somebody will have to talk about that. We'll have to... We'll have to deal with that. But yeah. until then, uh, we'll go ahead and sign off here. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for having this conversation with us. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.